I want to begin this morning as we just sort of prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper by telling you a, a quick story. I don't know where I heard this. I don't even know if it's true. You've probably heard it. Um, if you have heard it, bear with me because it illustrates a really important point. And it's a story about a woman who, who one day was preparing uh, dinner for her family and she had gotten a roast out and she was getting ready to cook the roast. She got everything prepared. She seasoned it up. And, and just before she put it in the, in the pan to roast it, she got a big knife out and she cut off about an inch off of one end and she cut an inch off the other end and then she put it in the pan. And, and meanwhile, her little daughter was sitting there watching her do this. And her daughter said, Mom, why do you cut the ends off the roast before you put it in the pot? And her mom thought for a second and she said, you know, I have no idea. I think I just saw my mom do it. And she did it over and over again. And so I do it. And she said, well, that's, that's call. So, so she called her mom and said, Mom, all these years I watched you growing up cut the ends off the roast. One, a little bit off this end, a little bit off the other end, and put it in the pot before you cooked it. Why do you cut the ends off the roast? Her mom said, you know, I'm not sure. But I always saw my mom do it. And so all those years I watched her do it and I just learned to do it. And so that's what I do. And she said, I'll call your grandmother. And so she called her grandmother and grandmother picked up and she said, Mom, we're trying to figure this out. And she said, we all cut the ends off of our roast now and none of us can figure out why we do it. And, and we're wondering if you can tell us why you did it so we can understand what's going on. And she said, that's easy. She said, I don't know why you do it. But I did it because the only pan I had was never big enough for the roast. So I cut the ends off. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's a good illustration of the fact that sometimes we do things in life and we have no idea why we're really doing them. We've seen it done. We've witnessed it done. We've done it over and over again. And then one day somebody finally says to us, why are you doing that? And we look them in the eye and we say, You know, I'm not really sure. I just know I've always done it. I know that my parents did it before me. I know that people have always done it before me. And that's what I learned to do. And and I think that there's a real danger when we begin to observe the Lord's Supper on an often and regular basis that we'll lose sight of why we're doing it. And we've recently, over the past year or so, gone to a monthly uh, basis. We do it on the first week of the month. Every month we observe the Lord's Supper And I think that it's been good for us. I think it's been good for us as a church to regularly observe the Lord's Supper. But I do often have a concern in my heart when we do it this regularly that we'll just lose sight of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it'll just become something that we do. And I think it's especially important in this church. We're such a unique church. I'll tell you, I've never been in a church like our church. And you you who've been here longer than I have, probably don't notice it as much as I do, or maybe you do, but I've never been in a church where we have such a mixture of people. I mean, I come from a pretty traditional Southern Baptist background. I grew up in churches like that. I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. I pastored two very traditional Southern Baptist churches before this one, and then I come here, and when I came here to Gethsemane uh, prior to becoming Burnt Woods, it was interesting to me to find out that our church really didn't share that kind of identity that those other churches had. And I, for a while, I couldn't figure that out. And then I think I figured it out that it's just because, uh, not because we don't care, not because we don't want identity, but there's so many of us who come from so many different faith backgrounds in this church. 
I mean, there are people here who, who come from Roman Catholic backgrounds. There are people here who come from Lutheran backgrounds. There are people here who come from Presbyterian backgrounds. There are people here who are Methodists. There are people here in this church who come from all sorts of different backgrounds. And so in a sense, there's a lot of things that we do that I would guess that if we asked people, we would get lots of different answers to why we're doing them. That's one of the reasons why we've been having a members class on Sunday morning is try to make people understand or help people to understand why we do the things we do and what are the things that we believe because we do have an identity. We are a Baptist church and that matters. We have views on certain things. And I want to just talk to you for a few minutes before we observe the Lord's Supper about why we do it. What's the whole point? You know, there are really four views of the Lord's Supper, four major views. And And I'll run through these pretty quickly before I get to our view, but I do want you to be aware that there are different ways that people view this. For instance, if you were to go to a Catholic Mass, you would be witnessing something totally different than what we're about to do now. They believe in a doctrine called transubstantiation, where when they take the bread and they take the... And that's a big word. I almost didn't even get it out. But, the, uh, but if you take the bread and you take the wine, that they believe that in that act, in the act of, of communion, the Lord's Supper, that the wine, the elements, the wine and the bread are actually transformed into the physical body and blood of Jesus. And not only do they believe that it's transformed into the body and blood of Jesus, that's miraculous in itself if you believe that, but they believe that it's a double miracle. There's no, it's, it's not only transformed into the body and blood of Jesus, literally, physically, but then it's veiled in bread and wine at the same time. So it's this double miracle. And they believe that you're actually consuming the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ and that there's an ongoing sacrifice every time that the Lord's Supper is observed. So that would be one view. There's another view that our friends just up the street over the hill in the Lutheran church, and they would... They would uh, hold to a view called consubstantiation. It's another big word. These are like $15 words, so you don't get these very often from me. But consubstantiation is subtly different, and it just they would believe that, that the elements don't become Jesus. They don't become the body and blood of Jesus, but they would believe that the elements, that, that Jesus is physically present in and around and underneath of the elements. Now, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. And I don't mean that as a joke. I just don't know. I, I think it's because Luther didn't want to be Catholic anymore. He just came up with different terminology. It's essentially the same thing. It's essentially the same thing. They believe that he's physically present in the elements. And, and so they're communing on a physical level with Christ. And then you have the Reformed view our friends in the Presbyterian or Methodist churches would hold to. And they would say that, that in the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that Jesus is present but that he's present in a spiritual way. Not physically, but spiritually present. And so when we observe the Lord's Supper, that we're communing with Christ spiritually, and communion offers us spiritual nourishment for for any believer who participates. So those are three views, none of which are our view as a church. Our view, and the Baptist view of the Lord's Supper, is what we call memorial view of the Lord's Supper. And that essentially means this, and I'm going to read it to you from our confession of faith. It means that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate His second coming. So we are memorializing the work of Christ. When we observe the Lord's Supper in this church, what we're doing here, regardless of what you think we're doing, what we're meant to be doing here, is remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. 
We're remembering what Jesus has done. It's, it's remembering the special redemptive work of Jesus on behalf of his people. And that's where we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23 through 26. So if you're already turned there, look at it with me, and I'm going to read it for you. Where Paul's teaching on the Lord's Supper here, and he's teaching because they've allowed all sorts of errors to, to creep into the church and all sorts of things that they were doing in the church were wrong. And so he's teaching them about the Lord's Supper. And in the midst of it, he makes this statement. He says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So notice, first of all, it's a statement of authority here. He's not saying this is just my understanding. This is, he's not saying this is just the way I read things. He's saying that I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I've received this directly from Jesus, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you remember when you were growing up, if you grew up like I did, and and there was a wooden communion table like this, and almost all of them had inscribed on the front of it. Almost all of them had it inscribed on the front of it. If you were in a Baptist church, there was probably a wooden table. And in some ways or another, it said on the front of it, Do this in remembrance of me. Because we're drawing that right out of the Scriptures, that this is a time of memorial. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, verse 25. In the same way, when he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Do this in order to remember. Do this as a memorial. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the question then I think for us, and I'll just walk us through this before we observe the Lord's Supper, is if we're supposed to be remembering If what we're doing here is about memorializing something, then what is it that we're remembering? What are the things that we really want to bring to mind that we want to think about? This morning, the songs that we sang, we chose those specifically for Communion Sunday. That one song that we sang just before the offering said, I cast my mind to Calvary. I meant to remember the things that Jesus did. What are we remembering? Well, first of all, we're primarily remembering the sacrifice of our Savior. Primarily, we're remembering that Jesus was sacrificed for us. The bread representing the body of Christ that was broken for us. That He did live for us. That He did come in the flesh. That He fulfilled all the law in the flesh. That He perfectly lived a sinless life for us. And then He was arrested. And He was put in chains. And He was spit upon. And His beard was pulled out. And there was a crown of thorns placed on His head. And they beat His body and broke His body, the sacrifice of Jesus there that day. And then also that He was nailed to the cross. His blood was shed for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, the Bible says this. It says, "...and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices." Let's just stop right there for a moment. Because the writer of Hebrews is, is... really writing a commentary on what it was like for for Jews to worship and what it was like under the Old Covenant to worship. And then the theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Like, if you've ever struggled to understand the book of Hebrews, just write down three words on the first page of the book of Hebrews and you'll get it. Jesus is better. 
Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Jesus is better. And he draws our attention here to the sacrifices that took place at the temple every single day. Every day of the year. Now, we're not just talking about the Day of Atonement. We're not just talking about the Passover. We're talking about every single day. The priests stood in their service every day, butchering animals every day, shedding the blood of animals for the sins of the people of Israel. Every single day. It's been said that an Old Testament priest was nothing more really than a butcher. All they did day in, day out was sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And it says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, here it is. Jesus isn't offered over and over again, over and over again. By the way, This is one of the reasons why we reject Rome's opinion on the Lord's Supper. Because they believe that in the Lord's Supper, each time that it's observed, that there's a new sacrifice of Christ. Every time the body is broken, every time the the, the blood is is in that cup, that there's a renewed sacrifice of the uh, the body and blood of Christ. But it says here, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that by a single offering, one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When Jesus was on the cross and Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. One sacrifice for all time, for all sin, and he's perfected us all through that one sacrifice by shedding his blood. So when we take the bread, we remember the body of Christ, the life of Christ in the flesh, his body broken for us. And then the cup reminds us of the blood that was shed for us in the new covenant, which is no longer a covenant of works, but now is a covenant where he writes his law in our hearts, where he comes to dwell inside of us. So we're primarily remembering the sacrifice of our Savior. Secondly, we're remembering the love of our Savior. We remember in this the love of our Savior. Anytime we think of the wounds of Jesus, we should be reminded of the love of Jesus. Dr. Stephen Olford was one of the great preachers of the 20th century, and he was born in Africa to, par- or to, to missionary parents many, many years ago in the, in the turn of the 20th century. And he had all sorts of stories that colored his preaching about living in Africa and living in those regions where his parents were ministering and, and seeing the things that went on in the different tribes. And one of the famous stories that he told was of a certain village and their, their um, chief had died. And it was time in this particular village for them to elect a new chief. There were several who had rights to become the chief, but it was the responsibility of the people in the village to elect a new chief. And it came down to two men. And as the time drew closer, one of the men got word that people in the village that were opposed to him becoming the chief were beginning to spread rumors about him, about his love for the people. They were beginning to say things like that he doesn't really care for the people. He just wants power. He doesn't really love anybody. And so when the day came for them to elect the new chief, they gathered around and the whole village was there and and they each made their case and the man who had been disparaged by the other came to the center of the group and he began to tell the people 
He said, I've, I've, I've heard that they say that I don't love you. I heard that they say that I don't care about you. And then he began to tell the story about how years ago, a leopard had come into the village. And the leopard in the night was terrorizing the village. And it was attacking people and it was killing children. And nobody could do anything to stop it. But this particular man managed to actually fight the leopard with his bare hands. And the only way that he knew as the leopard was on top of him to win the battle was to plunge his arm into the mouth of the leopard as deep as he could and pull and pull and pull until eventually... He, he, he made a, a fatal wound in the leopard's throat. But in doing that, his arm was ripped to shreds by the leopard. And so as he told the story and reminded them of the story, he, he took off his tribal wear so that his arms and his shoulders were exposed. And he said, look at these wounds. He said, if I had not loved you, I would not have these wounds. If I had not loved you, I would not have bled for you. If I had not loved you, I would not have these scars. And I think about that when I think about Jesus raising his hands to give the high priestly blessing to the disciples after he had been resurrected. I think about that as Thomas looked at the wounds and touched the wounds. And it's as if any time we think of the body and the blood of Jesus, we need to be reminded of the truth that if he had not loved us, he would not have bled for us. If He had not loved us, He wouldn't have the wounds. If He hadn't loved us, He wouldn't have the scars. He loves us. So we're remembering today when we think of the blood and the body of Christ, we remember His love. But then third, we're also remembering the promise of Jesus to return. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul said, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. John chapter 14, Jesus said this to His disciples. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming again. And this is one of the ways that we remind ourselves that He is coming again. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a hundred years from now, but we know that He's coming again. So we're proclaiming that in Acts chapter 1. Verse 6 through 11, I love this passage of Scripture. It says, so when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, this is after He's been raised from the dead and He's standing with His disciples preparing to ascend into heaven. And He says, they ask Him this question, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Imagine being there that day. The ascension of Jesus was not a spiritual mirage. He didn't disappear into thin air. He didn't turn into a ghost and and just fade away. 
It says that while they were standing there, he was lifted up. Imagine being there that day. I heard one man say that if there was a news station in those days, they could have filmed it. You could have watched him go. If you were there that day, you could have watched him like a balloon. You watch a balloon rise until suddenly it's out of your sight and you can't see him anymore. And there they are, they're watching him go physically, raised up, ascended into heaven, literally raised up into heaven, visibly raised up into heaven. And while they were gazing, verse 10, into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, just think of that. When Jesus comes, he's coming literally, physically, visibly. You'll see him with your own eyes when he returns. If you're here to witness it, you'll look up one day and you'll see the Son of Glory returning to his throne, to his earth to take up his rightful place. He's coming again. He's coming again. So when this morning, when we take the Lord's Supper, please, please don't allow it to be just another time where we cut the ends off the roast. We're remembering the sacrifice of our Savior. We're remembering the love of our Savior. And we're remembering the promises of our Savior to return again to take us home.